shoreline, Joan on the shoreline. I'd say we're talking about crowds on the shoreline. And I want you to know, Jesus, uh, as we as we come into this passage of Scripture, Jesus' ministry is well underway. He is, uh, he is now drawing crowds. Uh, people have heard that he's been challenging the establishment. Politicians and religious leaders have been challenged by Jesus. And uh, he's gotten quite a reaction from them and an even greater reaction from the crowds because they're quite amazed that Jesus has taken on the whole establishment. He's uh, preaching with amazing authority and power. Uh, people's lives are being powerfully touched. He's casting out demons. Uh, he's healing people. The, the, the deaf can hear. The blind can see. People have had demons cast out. Uh, he's uh, healing lepers. He's calmed the storm. He's even brought a dead girl back to life. So now Jesus has got huge crowds following him. They want to see what he's going to do next. I'm not saying that they're necessarily hungry for truth. I'm not saying that they're necessarily looking to, to discover more about God. They just want to see what neat thing Jesus is going to do next. Now, I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart this morning because so many people approach God just like that. They just want to see what's he going to do next. What interesting thing am I going to witness next? The crowds are amassing. They want to hear and see this Jesus of Nazareth. He sounds like a cool guy. He sounds interesting. When Franklin Graham was in Winnipeg, he was speaking at the MTS Center. And uh, those days that he spoke, the place was... Uh, nearly packed out every night. In fact, I think it was close to being packed out. But on the last night, on the Sunday, Sunday evening, and some of you were there, the the place was 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 absolutely packed out. Now, how many people does MTS Center hold? Someone told me ten thousand. Some said fifteen thousand, sixteen thousand. I'm going to take it from from Kevin because he's a politician and he knows these things. <laughs> sixteen thousand. Lunch this week, okay. Um, 16,000 people and another 2,000 or 3,000 in the overflow at Calvary Temple, which is just down the street from MTS. And the whole point of the, of the evening was that we were, as Christians, supposed to bring people who didn't know God so they could hear a gospel message. So my wife and I, we, we actually left church. We went quick, quickly got a bite to eat and then went directly to the MTS Center to get our seats at like 1 or 1.30. The thing wasn't on until like 4 or 5 or whatever it was. And um, so we had our seats reserved because we were inviting people that didn't know Jesus. And we wanted them to make sure, we wanted to make sure that they heard the gospel. So we got there. And so what happened was the place started filling up with a lot of Christians. And we had, uh, we had Christians breathing down our neck, asking repeatedly if they could have these seats. And I kept having to say, these are reserved for people that don't know Jesus. Hello? And so, I, I worked hard, folks. I want you to know, I worked really hard at trying to protect those seats. And I tried to maintain my Christian testimony. You hear me? Oh, yeah. These are for 
non-Christians. God bless you. <laughs> was your church service good today? Mine was. It's a great service. I preached. <laughs> and then finally, when I'm not looking, somebody rushes in and takes the seats. Now I'm mad. Let's just think of the irony of it. How you were at a church service to get people saved, and I'm angry. I'm so mad. I'll tell you, they say that preachers don't don't swear, but where they spit, the grass dies. <laughs> I was really, really upset. I was upset because these seats were not reserved for Christians. They were for people that didn't know Jesus. But you see, this is the crowds. The crowds are here. You know, the, the, the shocking thing is that after it all was said and done, after the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that came, to hear Franklin Graham. And if you don't know who Franklin Graham is, he's the son of Billy Graham. And if you don't know who Billy Graham is, I don't know where you've been living. <laughs> but I, I, I learned something about a crowd that day. That just because people are there to hear a sermon, just because people are there to, 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 to see the gospel bands and the singers and the, and the, this, the, the special guests and the, all the, the, I'll try to be charitable here. <laughs> all the acts and all the special features. That does not mean that people are necessarily hungry for God. You know that. It doesn't necessarily mean that people are open for truth or open to hear what God has to say. Now, in case anybody goes away from here thinking, oh, the whole thing, the whole Franklin Graham thing was a waste, let me tell you this. We invited um, family to come. And it was a young boy, glorious Sunday school class. He and his dad, and I think his sister came. And uh, there was no place for them to sit. I didn't know where they were. We're talking about thousands of people, 16,000 plus. I... I, I, I left, I stomped out of the auditorium. And this just shows you how even pastors have lapses of faith in their faith. And I walked out into the, out into the, uh, into the main vestibule and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty ticked because I mean, I was on the Billy, on the Franklin Graham committee. I was one of the, I was a, uh, I was the, one of the vice chairs and I mean, I should have special pull, right? No. And I'm praying. I'm saying, God, I don't understand this. And how could this happen? I, I walk out into the, into the vestibule. And I'll just picture this. Thousands and thousands of people. Up, you know, it goes up the escalator, up the stairs. People everywhere. And who should walk right into me? But this family that we'd invited to come and hear the gospel. I said, okay, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have gotten angry. It was stupid of me. It was so immature of me. But, God, I'm seeing your hand at work here. And I walked to the back and I said to one of the workers, I said, you know what, I need a place to sit with these people. They don't know Jesus. He said, well, we've got spots. We've got spots especially for you. And they're right in the position where we're lying straight in front of Franklin Graham to hear the gospel message. And the, the good news is that young boy went forward to accept Christ as his Lord and Savior. But that's only one of thousands. Now, Jesus, we read in Matthew chapter 13, was constantly 
coming face to face with crowds. Look what it says in the, in Matthew chapter 13, looking at verses 1 to 3, first of all. It said, the same day Jesus went out to the house. Can you read that with me? On that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, now that's my idea of church. That's the kind of church where this is what happens. I'm going to preach to you now. Would everybody stand up? No, I won't make you do that. That's basically what's happening. Jesus is sitting down in the boat and everybody is standing. I like that kind of a church. No pulpit. Just sitting in a chair. Just sitting in the, in the boat. Preaching to them. These large crowds. Jesus is now being stalked by the crowds. He can't even sit quietly by the lake to sip a cup of coffee. By the way, the lake that we're referred to here is the Sea of Galilee, which Marilyn spoke about last week. And here he is, overwhelmed by crowds. Now, Jesus is looking at this crowd. It's masses of people. And he's thinking to himself, how, how do I reach these people? How do I speak individually to them? How can I speak in a way that will touch their hearts? And so he tells a story. And it's a story of the sower. You've, you've heard it before. And so we're going to read it together as soon as we see it here. There it is. Let's read it together. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus is given this little parable so as to speak to each person in that crowd. And I want you to know today, Jesus is still in the business of speaking to each and every one of us. The problem is that so many people do not understand that Jesus is speaking to you and you and you and you and you. I could go on. I would have to do that too many times. And you. And that's what he's doing. Through this parable, he's speaking to each one individually. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, here, I, I want to I tell you this morning what you can do to make sure that you personally hear Jesus. Because some of you are sitting here today and you say, you know, it's been some time since I really felt that God has spoken to me. How many know what I'm talking about when I say, talk about God speaking to you? Does, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Wave at me. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go cross-eyed and I'll, <laughs> I'll get the message. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about when I say Jesus speaks personally to you. You, you take that, you, you open your Bible and, and, and something in the scriptures jumps out and you say, man, that's for me. Well, I want you to know that God doesn't ever want you to lose that. He always wants to speak to you. He wants to always speak to you personally. Did you get that? To you personally. 
And so the way that you are going to hear Jesus speaking to you personally is by recognizing that Jesus is speaking to you personally. Look what it says there in verse 9 of Matthew 13. It says, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, Jesus is speaking to a crowd. But he knows that that crowd is made up of you and you and you and you and you and you and you. And that's who he's speaking to. He's speaking to you. And that's what so many of us, we make the mistake of doing. We, we think that the message is for the crowd and it doesn't apply to me. Well, if Jesus is not speaking to you, my friend, it's because you have forgotten that he's still in the, speak, it's still in the business of speaking to us as individuals. The starting place to hear Jesus speaking is to know that Jesus is speaking and wants to speak to you personally. Would you say that? Jesus wants to speak to me. Say it. Jesus wants to speak to me personally. Yeah. How many know that what God has got to say to Brian is not necessarily what he's got to say to me, and what God's got to say to me is not necessarily what he's got to say to Sharon, but God's got something to say to each and every one of us as individuals because God knows each and every one of us. He knows our lives, and he knows our situation. The Bible says that God is, 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 is acquainted with every detail of your life. He, he has the hairs of your head num- numbered. For some of you, that's not a great miracle. Jesse, I don't know why you're ducking like that. <laughs> I know you're thinking, you're saying, your, your time's coming faster. Uh, Jesus is speaking to each of us as individuals. And he wants to speak to each of us as individuals. In grade nine, I got my very first Bible. I mean, I got little New Testaments when I was in grade five. Everybody get a New Testament in grade five? Well, who gave them to you? The Gideons. It was at school, right? Do they still do that? Is that all, is that all come to an end now? Mostly? Yeah. Kevin? <laughs> in grade nine, I got my first Bible. It was the one I asked for. It was a leather, genuine leather drill. Blue, genuine, with my name imprinted on gold on a Thompson chain reference Bible. Anybody got one of those? Amazing. There was tools in there that could tell me everything about the rapture, about the end of days. It could, I could, I've got tools there to witness and to memorize scripture and all kinds of great tools. And I love my Bible and I carried it with me wherever I went. And I, when Pastor Barbara's preaching, sometimes I'd be leafing through it. And looking at all the neat things instead of listening to the sermon. (laughs) Not always, sometimes. Great Bible. But then, listen, between my second and third year of Bible school, I got my very first NIV Bible, the New International Version. At that time, when that came out in about 1979, there was... There was, a new, there was a New American Standard, the RSV, Revised Standard Version. There was a King James. And there was a paraphrase called the Living Bible, which fundamentalist pastors from the States thought was of the devil. In fact, many of them thought that any Bible other than the King James was of the devil. I want you to know that that's not true. If you hear that, don't believe it. I got my first NIV Bible. And I was... Uh, 
I sat down with the very first time to, to read my Bible, the NIV Bible. I remember for the very first time in my life, as I was reading the Bible, it came alive to me like it had never come alive to me before. I knew at that moment that God was speaking to me personally. And I got out my pens and my colored pens and I got my, my highlighters out and I sat there with my ruler and I was underlining scripture after scripture because God was speaking to Alan Duncalf personally. And this is for me and this is for me and this is for me and I couldn't stop reading. I, I, got to, I had to keep reading because there was just so much here and it just went on and on. God was speaking to me. I want you to know something today, my friends. Nothing has changed. God is still in the business of speaking to those who are hungry and thirsty to hear his voice. And if you've forgotten that God still wants to speak to you, then you're going to pick up this Bible and it's not going to touch your heart. But if you open this book and say, this is for me, Spirit of God, speak to me. Then the Bible will come alive to you like it has never come alive before. Can anybody say amen to that? Anybody experience that? You know what I'm talking about. That's the way God wants his word to come alive to you. And by the way, this is the Bible. I went and dug it up. It was in my library. This is the very first NIV Bible I had. And you come and look at it if you want to. Underlining and colors and notes and notations and big boxes and Dennis was laughing at me as I was reading a book because I seemed to be underlining everything. <laughs> but i got to tell you something. Underlining those passages of Scripture, it's like God has a special message just for me personally. And that's what God wants to do for you. When you approach your Bible, you've got to say, God, what do you want to say to me? I'm going to tell you something. This book has no expiry date. This is not like a jug of milk in your fridge. <laughs> this, this doesn't have an expiry date. It just goes on speaking. This, listen, this is the mystery of the scripture. The mystery of the scripture is that God throughout the centuries speaks to his people through his word. And every time you pick it up and say, God, speak to me, then God will reveal himself in a way that you can't imagine. Folks, I want you to know I've been reading this book for almost 30 years, this, this, this Bible, for almost 30 years, and it still speaks to me powerfully, mightily. Can anybody say amen to that? You know what I'm talking about. It's still speaking. And it's not like any other book. I've read... Uh, would you get that for me, please? Uh, I've read uh, Tolkien's Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. I've read it probably six times. But I can tell you, it doesn't have a per... per uh, hello? <laughs> Anybody there? <laughs> Go ahead, get the phone. I, I don't mind waiting for a moment. Okay, now you're really, really embarrassed. <laughs> and see, the way you're feeling personally addressed is the way God will personally address you. <laughs> if you take up your Bible and read. So it's got to work with what comes, Right? I've read Tolkien's Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Anybody read those books? At least six times through. But I've got to tell you something. As much as I enjoy the story, 
There's no personal message there for me. No life-transforming message. I read those books because I just enjoy a good story. I enjoy a good turn of a phrase. I enjoy a good read. But the Word of God, wow, it speaks to me personally. And it meets me where I'm at. I had a call this week from somebody struggling, really struggling with temptation. Not anybody even from here, from another city, another province. This person calls me every now and again. They're having a struggle. And I said, I want you to, to, to get your Bible out and, and turn to Romans chapter 8. I said this to this person. And God's got a special verse there, a special scripture just for you. He said, well, what is it? I said, it's Romans chapter 8, verses 37 to 39. Because right now you are so, so overwhelmed by temptation. You think God hates you. But I want you to know something today. God doesn't hate you. He loves you. And he wants you to know that. He wants to tell you that personally. It's not just Alan Dunkaff telling you this. It's God who wants to tell you personally that he loves you. And no matter what Satan does, he cannot get between you and God. And so we opened the Bible, he in his province and me in mine. And we read together, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And everybody said, Yeah, that's the Bible speaking to you personally. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what kind of problem you're facing right now. But I want you to know that God is standing by and he wants to speak to you. You've heard the TV infomercials. Have you heard them? The operators are standing by. God is standing by and he has a message for you. If you only open your heart. Now, I know some of you are standing, sitting here this morning and say, Pastor, you know, I, I, I've tried that. I tried to open the Bible. It doesn't speak to me. And I don't know what the problem is. Well, okay, here's my second point then. That, that will maybe help you. You need to examine your heart if, if when you open your Bible, God's not speaking to you. If you're not hearing from God, it seems that the Word is not speaking to you or that, that uh, it just is not. It's just not doing for you what it seems to be doing for Pastor Allen. Well, you probably have a heart problem. And, and Jesus addresses this. He, he talks about, about four different kinds of hearts. He talks about the heart that is like a path. It's hard and stony. The sower throws the seed, which is the word of God, throws it down, and, and just, it just sits there. And the birds come along and eat the seed up. That's a hard-hearted heart. You're curious, but not at, at all open to Jesus. Then there's the rocky, rocky heart. It's shallow. You're, you're, you just got a little bit of earth there. Not much. You're not willing to make an effort to know Jesus. You're, in, in essence, you're kind of lazy. You just think, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll read it when I get a chance. You're, you, you use the Bible maybe as a, as a way to go to sleep at night. So read a passage from Leviticus. That should put me to sleep. I want you to know the Bible is not a sleeping pill. <laughs> it's not intended to put you to sleep, my friends. Then there's a third one. There's the thorny, thorny heart. Your heart's divided. You're not willing to leave the bad company for Jesus. And then there's the fourth heart. It's what Jesus calls the good soil. It's the thirsty heart. You just can't get enough of Jesus' heart. Now let me ask you a question today. Which one of these is you? You're not really prepared. Maybe you're the first one. You're, you've got a hard heart. You're like that path. And you're not really, 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 really interested 
going all out for Jesus. You don't really, really, really want to, to, to do this. And the fact of the matter is, is with God, 99% is not good enough. It's just not good enough. It's all or nothing with God. And that's where a lot of people, where a lot of people struggle because they think, you know, I've come to church, I sing the songs, I even throw some, I throw a fiver in the plate when it goes by. How come, where's God? How come, how come it's, I'm not getting the, the buzz that everybody else is getting. I want to tell you something, my friends. With God, it's all or nothing. You've got to be sold out for God or you will not know Him. You will not enjoy Him. His Word will not speak to your heart. There's a lot of people like that. You've been gone to church for years and, you know, you don't know what all the fuss is about. What's, every, what's all this business of raising hands and closing your eyes? I don't get that. What's with the crying in church? I don't get that. The reason you don't get it is because you haven't yet made that full 100% commitment to Christ. You haven't said, God, I'm willing to surrender everything to you. You're, you're, that, you're that one that maybe just wants to stay part of the crowd. I like to be part of the crowd. It's a great social network here. I don't mind coming here. I can get good contacts for my business here. and uh, I, I, This is a good place to, to, have, to get friends. Folks, I want you to know this, is not a, this, is, this church is, is not a, a community center. Yes, your social needs will be met here, but, but the main thing, my friends, is that here is a place where you will be nurtured in your relationship with God so that when it comes to the things of God, your heart's open to Him. Maybe your heart's uh, the shallow heart. You're really not, you're kind of lazy, you're half-hearted. You just kind of dabble in, dabble in, in the faith. You know what I'm talking about. You really don't want to make any big effort. Pastor, I don't mind reading a, a precious promise from the precious promise. Anybody know what a precious promise box is? It's a, one of those little boxes that sits on your, on your table in the morning at breakfast time. You pull out one verse, you read it and go, hmm. This is my, it's like a horoscope. It's kind of, this is the verse for, for my life today. And that's it. No more, nothing more, nothing less. <laughs> that's dabbling. That's dabbling the scriptures. I mean, that's just hoping that maybe you'll get it, you'll strike it lucky some morning and get a verse that will touch your heart. I'm talking about taking the scripture, my friends. Taking the scripture and reading it chapter after chapter and letting the Spirit of God speak to your heart. But it, God will never speak to you if you're lazy or half hearted about it. Sorry, it's just the way it goes. It has to be a wholehearted effort. Maybe your heart's a divided heart. You say, you know, I, I really like going to church. and I enjoy Pastor, Pastor Allen's sermons. It's the best sermons I ever heard. <laughs> You're, you, you like being here and you like singing the songs, the best music you ever heard. And uh, you you like some of the programs. You like coming to the missions event where you get to give money. We get to raise money. It's exciting. It's fun. But you also have your other friends. You've got the other people in your life. You like hanging out. You're not going to give them up because they're great people too. 
The Bible is clear, my friends. The Bible is very clear. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, then your company needs to be company, a company of Christ followers. And I can guarantee you this, this morning. If you are maintaining relationships with people who do not love Jesus, if you're maintaining relationships with people who are not serving Jesus, then it's just a matter of time and you'll be going the same way as them. It's not maybe. It's, it's a for sure. It's a for sure thing. The Bible is clear. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Man reaps what he sows. And if you're, if your heart's divided and you're hanging out with some bad weeds, that's what Jesus is calling them. It's just a matter of time. It's not, it's not maybe. It's not if. It's just a matter of time that you will be sucked down that same road. It's a guarantee. If you're not serving Jesus, if you're, if you're, if, if, if you're trying to serve Jesus, but the people you're hanging out with do not serve Jesus, don't love Jesus, it's just a matter of time before you are influenced and your Christianity is choked out. Just a matter of time. And I'm telling you, if your heart's divided, there's no way on earth that God can speak to you through his word. Then there's the good soil. That's the thirsty heart. Do you know what I was telling you about when I first got my NIV Bible? I could tell you, I could tell you where I was when I experienced for the first time in my life God speaking to me so powerfully, so mightily. I was sitting at the kitchen table, the house on Green Avenue, 252 Green Avenue. Anybody know where Green Avenue is? It's in East Kildonan. Drive by today, 252, and say, oh, that's the house. That, that's when I had my aha. I, I, it's, anybody had an uh, aha moment where you go, aha? You, you ever had that moment where you go, oh, oh, yeah, I get it. That's where I had my first real aha moment with the Scripture. I sat there, God speaking to me. And I thought, this is what God wants not just for me, but for everyone. And I'm going to tell you, it had special significance for me because I was a young Bible college student getting ready, getting prepared to preach the gospel, getting prepared to go into the ministry. And I knew, I knew at that moment that this is what God wanted me to communicate to all the people that I preached to, that he is still in the business of speaking and he wants to speak. Is your heart the good soil? Is it the thorny soil? Is it the rocky rocky ground? Or is it the hard path? Only the good soil is going to be open to hear Jesus speak. And this morning, you say, Pastor, so what do I do? How do I get that? Well, first of all, you've got to get rid of that divided heart. If there's bad company that you're, that you're keeping, you've got to get rid of it. You say, Pastor, that's, that sounds awfully harsh, awfully bizarre. It seems kind of radical. Uh-huh. That's exactly what Christianity is, my friends. It's radical. Jesus says, you've got to love me more than your mother. In fact, you've got to hate your sister and your brother and your mother and your father compared to how much you love me. Wow. Very radical indeed. Are you ready for that? 
Are you ready for that kind of a walk with God? Where you hear God speaking to you on a daily basis? Because that's what he wants to do. Are you ready for that? Examine your heart today and see where you're at. And if your heart's heart, if your heart's shallow, if your heart's divided, then before this day's over, pray, God, restore to me that soft heart that's open to hear your voice so that I may begin to know the joy and the excitement and the thrill of walking with God. That's what God wants for you. But I need to tell you one more thing. If you want to hear the voice of God, very important. It's kind of related to the first thing I told you. But you really have to forget the crowd. And that's something that we, are, we have such a difficult time doing. We are notorious for giving into peer pressure. I'm going to tell you, we always talk to young people about peer pressure. I'm going to tell you, young people, it's not just you that struggles with peer pressure. We struggle with peer pressure till the day we die. Would everybody say amen to that? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. We are notorious for not, for, for not standing alone. We'd rather conform. We're afraid to be different. We're, we're terrified of being unusual. We don't want anybody to look at us because we're different. And yet, my friends, that is the very definition of what it means to be a Christ follower. As long as you remain part of the crowd, then you'll never hear Jesus speaking to you. You'll never take ownership of what Jesus says. You'll always be that one that says, boy, I sure wish Sister Jones was here today because she could sure, she could sure hear this message. This, this would be great for her. Or, or, sure, it's too bad. It's too bad that Jim's not here, but he could really hear this sermon. And meanwhile, you forget that this sermon is for you. It's for you. And somewhere along the line, you and I need to move from the crowd to standing alone. Where we say, God, speak to me. I want to become responsible for what I hear. And I want to become responsible to act on what I hear. Anybody ever heard of Princess Diana? You've heard of her? Even though she's not from Canada? How many remember where they were when Princess Diana died? Who wasn't born when Princess Diana died? <laughs> I remember where I was. I was, in, I was sitting in B.C. in my dad's house on the couch watching the news, and all of a sudden, news flash. Diana, Princess of Wales, dead. Diana, future mother of the King of England, killed while her chauffeur-driven car crashed while, being, while, while trying to escape the paparazzi, the photographers, Photographers would be paid over a million for the right picture. Those paparazzi would taunt Diana and say, Come on, Diana, give us a good picture. This picture will pay for my son's education. Killed. Killed because people wanted to get a picture of her. Her brother stood up shortly after that and gave a statement. And... I don't know if you remember that. Anybody remember that statement? He stands up and he basically says, every photographer, every, everyone who's part of the paparazzi has got blood in his hands. Harsh statement. And then he goes on to say, and it's not just the paparazzi who have blood on their hands, but every editor who paid big bucks 
to have pictures of Diana also have blood on their hands. But something struck me back then. He never went to the next level of blame because, you see, it wasn't just the paparazzi and it wasn't just the editors, but it was absolutely every single person who wanted to hear the latest scoop on Diana's life that also had blood on their hands. But he didn't say that. He didn't want to offend the masses, the crowd. My friends, when you're part of a crowd, when you're one of the thousands, you suddenly don't feel responsible. You suddenly don't feel, well, that's for me. But when you stand out and stand alone, when you say, this sermon that I'm hearing today is for me personally, that's when God is able to speak to your heart. You need to forget the crowd. You need to get in the habit of forgetting the crowd, forgetting the group, and saying, God, what is it that you're saying to me? Every politician will tell you, Sorry to pick on you today, Kevin. (laughs) Every politician will tell you that every vote, every single one counts. I know some of you are thinking, oh, my vote won't count. Hollywood did a, a movie called Swing Vote. Anybody see that? Kevin Costner. It comes down to Kevin Costner. And he's the one. His, his vote's going to determine who's going to be the president of the United States of America. And suddenly, this irresponsible jerk who can't even take care of his, his children, his, his daughter, suddenly he's in a position where he understands that he's personally responsible for his country. Suddenly, his actions matter. Suddenly, what he does counts. I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart this morning. Because God wants to speak to you. Because your life counts. What you say and what you do matter. Did you know that? The way you live your life will have eternal repercussions. The things that you say, the things that you do, whether you're willing to give or not, will have eternal repercussions. My friend, it's time for you to understand that God deals with individuals. And today he's here to speak to you. He always speaks to individuals. So here's the thing, my friend. Someday you're going to die. Pastor, I did not come to church on this fine August Sunday to be told that I'm going to die. Well, you are, sorry. Unless Jesus comes before that, you're going to die. And not only are you going to die, but you're going to stand before Jesus someday. And the question is this, is what? Jesus is going to, God's going to ask, what did you do with my son? What did you do with Jesus? When you get to heaven, you won't be able to hide in a crowd, my friends. 
You won't be able to sort of tuck yourself in behind Pastor Allen and look over my shoulder under my arm. You're going to stand before Jesus and you're going to have to give an account. And this is what Jesus says. Listen to this. He says, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, the crowd, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Folks, your job is to hear the voice of Jesus. And the only way that's going to happen is if you're willing to stand alone and say, God, speak to my heart and help me to respond to what you're saying. When you stand before Jesus, you're not going to be standing before Jesus as a crowd. You're going to be standing before Jesus as individuals. And I'm going to tell you this. You'll never be able to hear Jesus' voice above the crowd unless you're willing to leave the crowd for Jesus' sake. That might mean leaving some friends behind. It might mean leaving an old circle of friends. You're just going to have to do that for Christ's sake. I remember the day that I, beyond a shadow of a doubt, knew that God wanted me to go into the ministry. I'd gone to NBCI, good Christian school. How many know that going to a Christian school doesn't guarantee that you're going to live like a Christian? And then from grade 9, I went to grade 10 to St. John's High, a good non-Christian high school. And it was there that God spoke to my heart. I had a choice to make. I was either going to I was either going to join my peers and do what everybody else is doing or I was going to stand alone and be a Christ follower. Everybody goes through that. And I knew that I knew that I knew in my heart that it was it was this was the decision moment. Because if I went with my peers, I knew in my heart that I would not be serving Jesus. I knew that. I knew that if I chose to follow Jesus and chose to to please him, that I would be standing alone and I would stand out and I would be different. And I can tell you I was different. In a school that was predominantly Roman Catholic and Jewish, they called me father, (laughs) as in priest father. I was standing alone. I remember I went to a, that, that fall, it was grade 10, that fall I went to a youth retreat. And I knew in my heart that I'd made the right choice, not to go with the crowd, but to go with Jesus. And it was at that moment that God confirmed in my heart his calling on my life. Oh, it wasn't an audible voice. It was a strong, strong sense, a strong impression in my heart that this was what God wanted me to do. I want to tell you something. God wants to speak to absolutely every one of you in the same manner. Oh, not necessarily calling you into the ministry, although that might be the case. 
But God wants to speak to every one of us. And the only way you can do it is if you separate yourself from the crowd and say, God, here am I. Speak to me. On the shoreline this morning, what, 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 what will your decision be? Will it be to pursue Christ, to hear his voice? Or are you just going to go along with the crowd? Just being an observer. Just watching the interesting things that Jesus says and does, but not allowing it to penetrate your heart. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, some of us today are, are searching and looking for direction and guidance from you for our lives. And we, we cry out and we wonder, how come God's not speaking? We, we learned this morning, God, that you still are in the business of speaking and you want to speak to us. But Lord, we know that there's some changes that need to take place in our life in order for you to speak to us once again. Father, we pray right now that you'd help us to make those, those decisions. To say, God, speak to me personally. God, give me a thirsty heart. God, help me to stand alone to hear your voice. Lord, some of us today are so, so heavily influenced by our families that we, that the word of Jesus is literally choked out. We, it's been a long time since we've heard Jesus speak to us. It's been a long time since we've had Jesus tell us what he wants us to hear and what he wants us to know, what he wants us to do. Father, I believe there are many people here today that want to know the thrill, the absolute thrill and delight of hearing Jesus speak. So God, we pray, open our hearts to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, let's stand together, shall we, and